Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Van Arpen. Joe, uh, last week we announced, uh, we followed up to say that we are going to do our hold up discussion on this episode. And uh, that still stands, I wanted to say, right at the top. Um, but the reason I reference that movie, I Heart Huckabees, which, you know, we'll, we'll get to, we're going to get to on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it has an odd connective tissue to the, the main review we're going to have today. Um, but also uh, to another movie that we're not really going to be able to discuss in full, uh, but it's worth bringing up at the top here nonetheless. And um, that movie is I Love You, Daddy, the the Louis C.K., I guess, not movie now. I mean, it's it's it basically doesn't exist, right, at this point? Uh, yeah, it's indefinitely shelved is what I understand. A.K.A. most of the public will never see this movie, except that... When all the stuff went down with Louis in the last couple of weeks, the New York Times article, his admission the next day, all that, The Orchard, which is the distributor for this movie, had already sent out screener DVDs to press everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it stands, a friend of the show, Octay Kozak, host of Over Under Movies, got himself a copy. And uh, through, you know, pure just fascination, you know, at this point, it, it like, uh, we had said last week that, you know, we're we're fans of Louis C.K.'s work in the past, and I was excited to see this movie anyway, but now it's got this odd sort of fascinating, um, it almost feels like it could be the new, uh, you know that Jerry Lewis movie, The Day the Clown Cried, that he sort of buried and he's never let anybody see? You know this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know feel, of it, never seen it. Me too, yeah. It's sort of one of those, like, lost it's like a unicorn movie that like is kind of impossible to find, but people know it exists. Yeah. Um, I love you. Daddy could become a sort of another entry into that kind of rare, like non movie sort of example. Um, right. So it's fascinating. Okay. So we, we wanted to watch it. And the reason I connect it to I heart Huckabees is both. Movies... They both have I, I love in the title. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just to, you know, there's, you know, David O. Russell was, you know, ahead of his time and used uh, emojis in his title. So, uh, you know, so yeah. I guess it's still prescient in that way, but um, both movies kind of are these bizarre, almost inside out the movie inside out uh, like trips through the director's head. Um, and yeah. And uh, that is for both good and ill, I would say for the experience in both movie, both examples in the movies and um, I just kind of wanted to connect the two, but also to say that I don't know if you'll get a chance to see one of these copies of I Love You, Daddy Joe. I know it's something that you and I would have talked about, I think, anyway, if it, if if, uh, if the movie was getting a proper release. Um, I think you know how I feel about it already, but I will say it is shockingly awful, this movie. And as much as I can say this uh, without the information that has become sort of official, you know, in the cultural consciousness about Louis CK, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course that's going to, you know, affect my opinion of the movie. But um, I actually think even if none of this information came out about Louis a couple weeks ago, I think we would be ripping this movie apart. And I don't know what to think about that other than I went in wanting to sort of look at this movie, not objectively, cause that's pretty much impossible, but in a way that I wanted to see if it was a good movie, but also deeply problematic. And mm-hmm. the sad part was, it's just a shitty movie. And right. I'm, I'm curious if you are even fascinated enough to even seek out this movie at this point, do you care? Well, I think before, like it was playing some festivals before the the stories, which had, like we said last week, like the stories had been around. They just had yet to be substantiated about Louis Mm C.K. So they kind of existed in like the ether, but they didn't materialize with like a force that could really be reckoned with. So so before the, the, the ball started getting rolling in terms of just like outing or like a lot of predatory behavior. Um, it was being regarded as a shitty movie. <laughs> like it was playing festivals and people were like, this movie's just not good. Like, and it, it sort of like caused a lot of critics who had seen it to just scratch their heads 
because you know he it, he had been coming off at least like as a writer and a director Horace and Pete which is like a great ensemble piece mm-hmm. just nothing like anything that was on television at this point you know it had a great theatrical quality and like really sharp writing and like this like he, one of his longtime collaborators Vernon Chapman who um, had been a producer on Louie, the TV show, and then was a writer-producer on uh, Horace and Pete. Like, he was, he's responsible for, like, a lot of crazy adult swim shows, like uh, The Heart She Holler and the MTV2 show uh, Wonder Showsen. He's, like, mm-hmm. a, like, just a crazy bursting with ideas uh, figure who also is, has a writing credit on I Love You, Daddy. So it's, like... Not only is it just impossible to disentangle from the drama, especially considering some of the just some of the facts that like the the themes of the movie play directly into what's being kind of called out uh, about Louis lately. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question in a very long way, um, I don't. I'm not fascinated enough in order to like take a look at something that is one just being regarded as a clunky ineffective movie but then the one that's just steaming with like contaminated ideas that like are the 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 things that we don't really support cannot condone and are hard to reckon with about louis yeah yeah no i mean exactly and i'm not surprised to 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 hear that i think that's gonna be the general consensus for people it's just like eh, it's like why bother at this point and yeah. I, again, I really went in wanting to sort of convince you that it would be worth seeing. Like, that was my goal. Like, you know, right. this this is the kind of stuff you and I like to dig into, right? Like, can we still examine this movie and decide if it's a good, well-made film? Right. And then deal with the other stuff that's all there, you know? There'd be a lot to discuss. But it's sadly, I think we would actually not have much to discuss other than, like, boy, yeah. is this sad for everybody involved. It's, it's really too bad. And, I, I like to kind of wrap up on this movie. Cause I just don't think there's much else to discuss. It's just like, I think the other actors involved in this movie, there are a lot of good actors that actually like don't give very good performances either. It's like sad. Um, but I think a lot of them will be glad that this movie mostly will go unseen. Um, uh, I, I kind of think that's the best for everybody involved, especially given what we know now, what is officially out there, you know, in the mainstream media about Louis. Yeah. Um, I think it's better for everybody involved that it they just can move on and it'll be a discussion piece. But um, it, it is sort of weird. Like this movie will not just go away because now that all those screeners are out there, I mean, there's got to be torrents of I Love You Daddy out there for anybody to get quite of easily. Course. So yeah. uh, it will exist in a way the Jerry Lewis movie we referenced um, The Day the Clown Cried will not, uh, or at least has not, even with the internet being... Uh, what it is for the last two decades. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, (laughs) if more people try to catch up with it and then they'll just be deeply bored and uh, frustrated by the movie itself if they get through it. So, um, yeah, I I think that like when, when movies become kind of like experiments that like the industry doesn't know what to do with like Dennis Hopper's the last movie or something like that, where it's like this anomaly that is hard to, track down or even like Yodorowsky movies before they sort of like got their second life and were, you know, now have been like reissued several times. Like mm-hmm. people seek these things out because they're anomalies. This isn't so much an anomaly as a misfortune on several, like on <laughs> several levels. You know, so like, is it a, you know, a puzzling and enthralling misfortune like eh, most people who when they're they're dealing with an avalanche of content constantly they now need reasons to eliminate and so if it's just like if i don't if i if there's no real reason for me to watch this why the fuck would i bother you know (laughs) exactly man well put well uh the the connection i was making from this movie and ired huckabees um to our main review which I think we should dive into uh, if, yeah. if you, you want to pivot towards it. Sure. Uh, uh, it, that movie is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And uh, on a surface connective tissue here is um, our hold up pick, Iard Huckabee's, that both these movies were put out by Fox Searchlight, which is um, 
kind of crazy, uh, especially with Ired Huckabees. If you think about the content and the subject matter that a studio like Fox wanted to even be connected to movies with these ideas um, um, and sort of uh, anti-conservative or maybe anti-authoritative type um, themes going on, especially in our main review of Three Billboards here. So um, the movies are connected by distributor. Um, I also think, you know, last word on I Love You, Daddy is um, the main character of Three Billboards, played by Frances McDormand. I think she would be quite a vocal uh, opponent to something like I Love You, Daddy existing at all. Or she would certainly be um, probably labeled as a social ju- social justice warrior that would be out for this sort of movie, you know, to, to hate on it. Um, and I... <clears throat> Uh, I think with that, you know, let, like, let's enter into this movie because um, this is going to be, it already kind of is in limited release right now. It's it's a big hit. It's getting, yeah. it's getting drawing big audiences right now. And, and that's exciting for a movie um, on this scale, you know, the way the, with, with this level of prestige to it. Um, but I want to know just right off the bat, Joe, like, let's just, let's just dive in like thoughts on this movie. Um, you know, and the director, Martin McDonough, you know, we've talked about his previous film, seven psychopaths. Like, let's get into it. What, what do you think about him and this film? Let's do it. Um, I think that he, like Martin McDonough is he's like, as a, as a voice, he was originally a playwright. So he has a very distinct kind of like dialogue style and style of writing that feels very theatrical at times. He wrote a, a, a well-known play called the pillow man and then like transitioned after I think a Oscar nominated short, mm-hmm. um, into I think he won an Oscar actually. I'll yeah. Okay. It. So an Oscar winning. Well, so it was still nominated. I'm not wrong. True. You son of a bitch. <laughs> and then he transitioned into features with in Bruges, seven psychopaths. And here we are with three bull billboards outside of Edmond, Missouri, as clumsy as eight heads in a duffel bag. <laughs> long, long protracted titles. Um, and like, this is definitely tonally a little heavier than his previous two, which managed to keep like a kind of manic, darkly comedic crime genre, you know, while still having a kind of emotional payoff to their absurdity. Like this, uh, though it's like also darkly comedic, uh, you know, kind of treads in a, in a more emotional terrain in a more kind of like socially loaded terrain where it's about a, uh, a, a mother of two who's crusading to get um, in the, in the small town of Ebbing, Missouri, more coverage and exposure to her daughter's unsolved murder, a murder that was like just heinous and impossible to sort of deal with the, the horror of, uh, cause she was sexually assaulted, killed. And then, uh, I'll just, you know, I'll leave it there. If you're going to see it, there's, yeah. there's more, there's, there's more misery to come. <laughs> like this, this impossible to digest tragedy that she is just sort of left to deal with like the, the, you know, the, the fact that it's not solved. So she buys these three billboards and uses them to advertise the fact that the crime has not been solved and calling uh, attention to the inefficient police force run by, Woody Harrelson as chief Willoughby. And so um, it, it taps into this, like uh, this, this idea that like the people who are kind of crying out about injustice are this kind of this nag they're treated as like this nag on like society that just wants to kind of press on, move forward and like just sort of just continue business as usual and uh, Francis McDormand becomes this kind of like just curmudgeon-y, uh, just outlaw for like, you know, avenging her daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's she's sort of like the uh, socially justified female version of Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino, just like <laughs> crotchety figure. That's just, you know, like she's completely justified in her want to have her daughter's murder solved. But she just she's seen through the community as this constant drain and this burden, which is like an interesting way to approach, uh, you know, like just dealing with social ills. Because, you know, 
up until recently, like it, it is seen in like a, as a, a kind of like, ah, come on, can we just move on? Does everything have to be corrupt and awful and contaminated? Can't we just like, I think that's what the whole uh, make America great again is just make America ignore all of the ills that have been plaguing us from its inception, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh, shut up already with your, your, you know, like your injustices and come on, can't we just, you know can we just watch football you know that's essentially i think like in its you know at, at its core that's what like the whole republican swing is about is about just shutting up people who are asking for justice basically the ruining you know? rich people's fun essentially yeah exactly yep. um so so yeah so that that is the entry point to the film it's a really solid ensemble uh, with Woody Harrelson, Francis McDormand, uh, Sam Rockwell plays a troubled, uh, drunken uh, police officer in the Ebbing, Missouri police force. Mm-hmm. And um, who's the young man that plays Francis McDormand's son? Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges. He's great. He's very watchable. Mm-hmm. Nice young man. Um <laughs> John Hawks is also in the movie. Yeah. And so my biggest gripe about the movie is that like, it seems like there, there is like, there's a very dark edge to the movie, a dark comedic edge to the movie. And the, I think that's its pitch is that it sort of pivots between like these, these like harsh, um, gruff, cynically comedic moments to these, heartfelt melodramatic moments and that's that's the allure is that like you'll you'll be laughing along in the in watching francis mcdormand take people to task and just call out their hypocrisy and call bullshit on everything and that's definitely what the trailer was kind of like gearing you up for is that here's here's a woman who's had it fuck everybody fuck the system that's just not benefiting or like bringing justice to the right people and then having it sort of swing into an emotional terrain. And I just don't feel like those moments are necessarily earned as much as they're intending to be. Mm. Like it'll pivot into melodrama in a way that just was like jarring and not in a sort of like rewarding way where you're just like, Oh, now we're okay. Now she's sobbing or now Woody Harrelson's having a heartfelt moment and it just feels like the writing didn't ease the transition to these moments. And they just, they gave like a kind of curveball to the performances that just felt jarring in a way that I didn't feel like cohered to something effective. Mm. Um, Despite the ideas of the movie being, you know, genuinely kind of exciting and having an expanse where you could kind of deal with social ills in a setting that is like, to me, it was like rewardingly theatrical. Yeah. It was just like, I could see how it could be an effective play actually in, in points and plays carve out the space and time for you to consider these ideas and consider these themes. But I just feel like there was just something missing in the transitions between tones Whereas like his previous movies were manic and had like a clip that uh, benefited the tone a little more. Hmm. I don't know. There's something like more, you can accept a little bit more all over the place tones, maybe when it's wrapped up in a familiar genre package. Whereas this is no real clear genre other than maybe melodrama, right? It's not really a traditional melodrama, but you can't really label it in the same way you would like crime movie, right? Which those other two are very clearly like a more Tarantino esque crime, you know, examination or crime story. Um, I think you're right. I think watching this movie is akin to walking on thin ice. A lot of the time from scene to scene, you're like, Oh man, like it's starting to crack under. And I feel like I'm about to fall because like, or this movie is about to like, it it feels like, yeah, exactly. And I think that's exciting but also creates a sort of, I had a sort of trepidatious, like it always kept me on my toes, but kept me at a remove. And maybe that's what you're getting at too. There, there is, there is an odd, I think fascinating, but also frustrating push and pull to watch this movie. I Mm -hmm. think, I think what you said is right. I think the writing while solid and the dialogue has that sort of beautiful, um, 
sort of unreal theatricality to it. I think that's an, a thing that you talk about a lot that you tend to really love in movies. Um, I think the last time we referenced it was Kicking and Screaming, the Noah Baumbach film. In, in a way, that sort of, it's not how quote unquote real people talk, but that's what you like about it or what we like about it, you know? Yeah, um, that's what you can be appreciated about it. Is exactly. That there, there's a poetry to it that like, if accepted on its own terms, like has, it's 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 its own art you know basically and it's debatable whether that style translates as well to something a little bit more serious actually a lot more serious as this movie Mm -hmm. does because martin mcdonough wants to be serious in this movie but he also has very um i don't want to call them like uh you know like ticks well i mean maybe they're ticks he he is very much like a quentin tarantino he can't eliminate the things that make his work his work and that's yeah. yeah, exactly. That's okay, right? That's him. He's infusing his movies with his DNA. I mean, I expect that, but it is jarring from scene to scene in this movie. And I'd say maybe, you know, a little bit more than half the time for me, this movie, the, the, from like scenes can uh, go from laughing to horrific, like, oh my God, is something bad going to happen from like, mm-hmm. they can change. And that is exciting. It doesn't always work, but I think the actors as strong as they are, are like that they, they had a tough job in this movie. And yet I think for the most part, they're up to the challenge, but this movie also has this effect of like, for me, the first 20 minutes or so I was like, Oh, come on. This is all too easy, right? Like this is all, um, like, too manipulative for the audience that's ready for this an audience that's ready to sort of be righteously furious about this content in this movie. Yeah. But I, I will say if you're feeling that as an audience member watching this movie, I would say it's still worth sticking it out because the movie does get way more naughty, way more complex um, as it goes. But I'm, I'm still with you. I, I think I might have liked this movie maybe a little bit more than you, but I had issues with it in that way too. It can't, the juggling act is impressive, but mm-hmm. I, it's so difficult to pull off that I think it was inevitable that some of the balls would fall that are being juggled, you know? And, and um, I yeah. think we're just left with a messy movie, an impressive messy movie, but not one I can fully embrace. And also I just immediately know that this is kind of a good one-time watch for me. Whereas movies that I love, I'm like, I have to see that again. I'm sure people that listen to this podcast enough are probably sick of me saying that about a movie I like. This is not one of those movies, though I do like it. Um, it's a good one-time watch for me. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to appreciate about it in its ambitions um, and in its scope. Uh, but like, yeah, it's just, it just sort of trips over its own feet so much of the time. And it's like, it, it is one with... Um, an idealism and one that like in a, in a time of such intense social unrest that like people do need something to people need some kind of artistic righteousness to attach to mm-hmm. of which this movie, you know, is seems to <clears throat> be demonstrating, you know, and it's one that even in its, uh, it's programming decided like they pulled, out of fantastic fest because of the draft house uh, allegations of people in the draft house uh, being, you know, uh, predatory and, you know, inappropriate in terms of like, you know, sexual misconduct. And so like they may like the people behind three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Is there a shorthand for this? Three Um, billboards. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) they decided to pull because they didn't, because of what the movie represents, they didn't want to be affiliated with the festivals, you know, associations with problematic figures. And so like that, they were, they were, they were making a statement in that since the movie is largely about, you know, injustices being, you know, finally recognized, like the, they had to represent themselves in a, a matter that actually suited the, the material. Mm-hmm. And in that they're like, if we're, if we're not going to, if we can't disentangle the actual social environment that we're dealing with these topics in, which we shouldn't like, can't, can we address some of the issues of the movie itself? Like the fact that (laughs) they're, they're calling to attention the sort of the brutality, the sort of historic 
and current, the nightmare we can't wake up from, the brutality of police towards the African-American community. And in this movie, the black characters are only in service of the white protagonist. They don't seem to have any agency whatsoever. They don't seem to have any purpose other than supporting her as a white woman. And so it's just like, all right, if this is, if, if we are going to go all in, which why shouldn't we, you know, there was an article last week that came out about Louis CK to circle back to him. (laughs) It was, we're going to have a reckoning let's have a reckoning. So it's just like, all right, let's, let's go all, let's rip, rip apart everything. And so like, that's sort of an issue for a movie that's kind of propping itself up as, uh, you know, a, 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 a kind of like symbol of serving injustices, you know? Mm-hmm. And also Peter Dinklage is in the movie and it seemed to be squirmingly that like, is this the only he's, He's a dwarf. I don't even know if that's the socially appropriate way to refer to someone of his stature. I I could be wrong, but I believe you're right. That or little person, I believe, is the preferred nomenclature. I can't imagine little person has much, much time going on as an appropriate way to refer to somebody. But but okay. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) Uh, So, like, it seemed to be he is seen as the only socially appropriate, uh, like, person to physically ridicule and like that became and the, i know that becomes kind of the point but not soon enough mm. and so you're just like it's okay to laugh at someone who's short like mercilessly for a long time and maybe that's to service the eventual conclusion that his character comes to mm-hmm. didn't feel that way though like it didn't feel like that it was like too little too late so it's just it's a weird crossroad we're at where like it's impossible to disentangle certain things. It's impossible to disentangle uh, the the trespasses and discrepancies of like or just the the wrongdoings of actors and directors who are involved in projects we seem to like. And it's impossible to sort of like disentangle the intentions of filmmakers and writers and directors when they're tripping over their own feet in terms of their own kind of missteps, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a messy movie in that way. It really is. And um, it's so fascinating to hear what you just said, because those were my two big (laughs) issues as I watched the movie, because early on in the film or fairly early on, um, maybe just a little context, Francis McDormand's character in the movie works at like a gift shop in town Abbey, right. Missouri is this, you know, sort of a traditional Southern small town. Um, and, uh, but it's a vibrant community. I really like the way it's portrayed um, that there are stupid people in this town, like the Sam Rockwell sure. character, which I think we have to get to at some point, but, um, yes. but there also are a lot of smart, articulate, well considered, um, you know, considerate people in this movie. Uh, it's a good balance in that way. So Frances McDormand works at this gift shop. Her coworker is, I believe this character named Denise. The actress is Amanda Warren. She's black. And there is a point in this movie where she gets arrested, um, you know, through, through the sort of um, it's even referenced in the movie by Woody Harrelson. The Frances McDormand billboard thing is like a chess move to sort of put pressure on the police. And the chess mm. move that they push back to her is by arresting her coworker, this uh, character, Denise. And, after that happened, we get a scene where Francis McDormand tries to get her out, tries to help her. And then the right. movie essentially decides that she's not worth our concern <clears throat> for like another hour, I'm, maybe yeah. right, up, right up until the end. And I remembered thinking <clears throat> a point had uh, in the movie where I actually had a chance to think. And I was like, hold on, is this movie completely forgot about this character? And I, I cataloged it in my brain. I'm like, boy, I hope she gets, we get to see something with her before this movie ends. Otherwise, that will be not a plot hole, but an ironic misstep for this movie, considering what it's about. Yeah. And she does pop up right at the end. And it feels like the most token, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, here you go, guys. And you're right. It's, it's so at odds with its ideology with its ideology yeah and it's it becomes this like oh man this unfortunate thing where um it didn't need to happen but it did and it's like uh it's it's it makes the movie fascinating but it's a fucking misstep 
in my opinion as well. And the Peter Dinklage thing, the 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 dwarf character in the movie, the way it's portrayed, I think it's at least given more actual he gets more scenes than Amanda Warren yeah. gets. There's He's that. given more agency. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. He's given more dimensionality. He's a real person by the end of this yeah. movie. And um I liked his last scene in the movie, Peter Dinklage. Um, it has to do with a date he's on with Francis McDormand. I, I really liked when he gets his chance to speak, to really just reveal himself was great. And Peter Dinklage is a great actor, delivers it perfectly. But I also couldn't help feeling a little uneasy because I remember in Bruges has all of this dwarf humor in it. Like, yeah. and, and in that movie, it's, it is played for overt broad laughs, but it worked much better, like what we're saying kind of in general in comparison to Three Billboards. It works much better in that sort of fast Irreverent. Yeah. yeah. Irreverent crime movie fold, right? Like, it's almost like we're a little bit more open-minded as an audience to be offended. I think this is something, again, Quentin Tarantino plays with all the time. But mm-hmm. in genre movies, you might have a little bit more leeway to to fuck with the audience's head and play around with offensive stuff in the hopes of trying to come out with something more in the end, you know, more uh, empathy, more whatever it could be. Right. But in mm-hmm. this, in, this is where it gets a little naughty in the filmmaking here is like, I don't know if that works as well in a prestige drama, but I do also know that I prefer this much more than say the, the sort of like the, if he, there's a version of this movie that would have been made in the nineties, probably by Miramax actually, that would uh-huh. have been much more middle of the road. And yeah. were it done by a d- different filmmaker, it wouldn't have the sort of vulgarity that makes it much more interesting than most of those middle of the road movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yet this is not a wholly successful movie on its own. Right. But I do prefer this kind of melodrama, I guess, or prestige drama. Yeah. I just wish I just wish it couldn't, it wouldn't contradict its ideology so much. It, it becomes like too messy for its own good at times. Yeah. I think that most likely Martin McDonough was probably, you know, his, a lot of his sensibility was probably formed around that time in the, in the nineties. So he's, he's got that. Cause he does have that kind of irreverent, uh, hitman crime movie kind of sensibility that was, you know, thrived in the nineties, mm-hmm. but it's like taken into a, a more kind of contemporary realm now. And he, he's got his own, you know, distinct touch to everything that he does now. So like, it's got that kind of hearkening back to the 1990s Miramax era, um, while still having like a sort of unique contemporary sensibility to it. And like, it, it is a mess. And I think that like, I, I think it's concluding moment is actually pretty beautiful. And I, I think yeah. that, um, I think the strongest dramatic stretch of the movie is probably Woody Harrelson's character's arc. Agreed. And then like the payoff you get with Sam Rockwell, which you wanted to bring up. So maybe we, we should take this moment to talk about Sam Rockwell's yeah. character's performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would just say just to, to launch off for it. And I want to hear what you have to say is like, he's the, he's not, he might be the key character for me in this movie in that he kind of represents what's good and bad about the movie. In my opinion, like at the beginning, I'm like, Oh, this is too easy. He's just a buffoonish. He's too, dumb. Yeah, he's too like caricature ish. Yes, exactly. Right. And then like the rest of the movie, for the most part, that stuff gets stripped away. And we actually learn about this character, things that people in the town know about him because it's a small town. Um, that's another strength of this movie. I would say is the way it portrays small town American, like everybody knows everybody's business, you know, that actually serves the plot really well in this movie, pushes it forward in a way that's actually very realistic and true to its, uh, it's, you know, where it is set. But, um, but yeah, Rockwell, it, it seemed at first that the performance was too broad as well, but then I came to like really appreciate what he was doing and what the movie was doing with him. And without giving away the ending, because I agree, the final 10 minutes or so is quite beautiful. Um, the connections it makes at the end are, are I, I can't believe it actually mostly pulls it off. And it's interesting that that ending is sort of the genre movie that we don't get in this movie. It's the beginning of like mm-hmm. what, what Martin McDonough might have done with this material 
at the in Bruges time in his career, but now he's just sort of alluding to a genre movie at the end of this one. And I, I thought that was a clever sort of play on the structure of what we might expect of a movie like this. I liked that, but um, I don't know. I mean, like for you, did how did you feel about Rockwell? Did 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 he do well with this character? Well, in the in the traditional sense of like a, the kind of overly traditional sense of like who a main character is in like a a, a sort of conventional screenplay is the person who changes the most over the course of the film. Right. And I would argue that that's Sam Rockwell's character. Yeah. Uh, so he's the, like, I've read that um, you're not supposed to read that Eddie Murphy is the lead. Axel Foley is the lead character in Beverly Hills cop. It's actually judge Reinhold's character. Cause he changes the most. <laughs> I don't agree with that necessarily, but it's like, it's also <laughs> interesting to see like what a kind of like, firm as much as Frances McDormand's character has like a lot of transitions. Um, she doesn't go through the sort of like giant arc that Sam Rockwell's character does. And to, to almost go from a cartoonish drunk caricature into a, a battered and realized, you know, flawed human being is like that, that almost makes the inconsistencies in the movie work, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's just like, you're watching him go from a caricature to a real person. Mm. And that transition sort of like the flaws of the movie could be justified as like, that's the point to sort of like make this from a over the top to a actually realistic grounded, you know, thing like th- to make that transition happen. Mm. Um, so like his, there's there's just enough about the movie that does work mm. that like you, I would still recommend it but cautiously. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm on the same page and and I I feel like we're not doing enough justice either. It's just worth saying like how great Frances McDormand is. I mean, we've I think you and I have been fans of her for a long time. I mean, since like right <clears throat> for me, right back to Blood Simple, you know, our first movie with the Coen brothers and I've always found her to be such a fascinating actor, like on like her presence on camera. She's so watchable, but she mm-hmm. is just fearless and not fearless in that hacky critic way of saying like, she gets naked a lot and she's fearless. It's like mm-hmm. just, just willing to tackle like she, her character is sometimes the antagonist in this movie is sometimes a debatable right. villain in this movie. You know, if you want to broadly label that, in sense, this movie is much more in the shades of gray, I think, but you know, you can arguably call her the antagonist at times. And the way the movie can flip back and forth in that with the characters with scene to scene, with the tone in a scene, um, you had mentioned John Hawks is in this movie. Another other character I, I just adore. And he gets one scene in particular where it goes from a domestic squabble, like a really potentially vicious, violent squabble to a family sitting around a breakfast table laughing and sort of calmly like chuckling about it. Like how that worked, I think is almost 80% on the actors to pull off. And it's such an uphill battle and they do it. But I do think that there's enough of a, the, the type wrote walk of this script and the acting and all of it. Like it usually gets there, I find, but you got to sort of be patient with the approach of the movie, because I think a lot of people, that this movie is actually designed for, you know, like I'd say progressives and uh, people with a, a liberal mindset, like this is sort of full of, this is catnip for these people. Right. But it will frustrate a lot of those people. I think until a certain moment that deepens it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a sort of wait and see approach. I would say stick with it. You'll probably get the most out of this movie. Um, I do think, <clears throat> I think it's I think it's a solid movie. I do think it's going to be up for a shitload of Oscars, man. I'll tell you that. Um, so I I don't think like this movie's not going away. It's going to be around. I think for months. You know, it'll be one that's into the conversation right up until the end of the year. And you know, I I'm not I'm not disappointed in that. It's not like I wish other movies could be in its place. I mean, I probably do, but it's it's a better version of the type of movies that I think we often knock, you know, or don't even bother talking about. And that's enough for me to recommend, but I'm with you. It's, it's, it is a cautious recommend. Yeah. It's also, it's interesting. I mean, we, we, we vie for people, uh, 
going to the theaters to sit in the dark with each other to watch, you know, this art form in a larger than life manner. Um, but it's also in, in such a time of like unrest and like tectonic shifts socially mm. to deal with an, an art and feeling the tension of a room reconciling a sort of changing ideology with uh, like what's being presented on screen. You know, like I remember going to see Lethal Weapon a few years ago in a, you know, revival screening. Here we go. More Lethal Weapon. Of course. (laughs) And I think I've talked about this, actually, that moment where it was in 2014. um, And, you know, because police brutality and police misconduct is the nightmare we can't wake up from. Like, you know, there's a scene where uh, Danny Glover's character, Roger Murtaugh, is interviewing uh some six-year-old witnesses to a crime and one of them sort of kids say the darndest thing blurts out mama says policemen shoot black people and the whole audience is like like you just feel everything tighten and like the air basically like just disappear and it was like that was common like horrifically common enough to be a line in a movie almost 30 years prior and it yep. never went away to the point where we're all just tightening in a room together. And like now we're dealing with what we're dealing with. And, you know, and so uh, feeling of like a group of people in the dark wrestling with something is not always comfortable, but it's I think it's valuable. And so like however, however, like many problems we have with it. Like it is interesting, you know, returning to those rooms and just being like, all right, let's 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 deal with it, you know. I agree, and and you know, if you're, I don't know how or why you'd be listening to this podcast. If you happen to be, uh, maybe you're open minded. That that's good. But if you like uh, are uh, like a Fox News watcher, <laughs> you're probably not going to watch this movie in the first place. Three billboards, you know. Um, because it's probably been labeled as like what progressive propaganda or something like that. I, I can only imagine. Um, sure. I guess instead go back and watch fucking lethal weapon and Beverly Hills cop. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll open your mind a little bit. Maybe, maybe doubt it. Meanie, 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 do you have a job, Tom? I'm a firefighter. Oh, God bless you. A hero. I'm not a hero. We'd all be heroes if we quit using petroleum, though. Excuse me? You say you're Christians living by Jesus' principles, but are you? Yeah, of course what? we are. Jesus has never mad at us if we live with him in our hearts. I hate to break it to you, but he is. He most definitely is. All right, that, that, I, that's enough. Stephen, I don't know what this is about. Why they're here. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. I did not know. Steve, oh, I'm so disappointed. It's all right. Look, look, he's sad. Look, he's sad. I'm sorry, Steve-o. My bad. You didn't know. You should be ashamed of yourself. I should be what? You should be ashamed of yourself. And why is that? Why should I be ashamed of myself? You're a hypocrite. I know what? You're misleading these children. Because you're the destroyer, man. How am I the destroyer? I saw that SUV out there. Oh, oh, my car's the destroyer. You want to know how many miles per gallon I get? God gave us oil. He gave it to us. How can God's gift be bad? Well, I don't know. He gave you a brain, too, and you messed that up pretty damn good. I so. want you sons of bitches out of my house now. We've been teasing it now for a while. We're, we're officially getting into our latest edition of Hold Up. And, you know, that's the segment where we, you know, we look at a movie one of us chooses that we're quite fond of from our past. Um, at first, the idea of the segment was to look at movies that maybe were a little troubled or maybe most people seem to not like, but we were fond of. The mm-hmm. segment has grown from there. It's it's sort of a more basic, like, does this movie hold up? And there are various reasons that we will discuss whether it does or does not. Um, but I would say the, my choice for this episode, I Heart Huckabees, um, is probably more along the lines of that traditional uh, inception, that, I, that additional, the, the initial in, idea of hold up, right? Yeah, this is a movie that... Uh, when I uh, watched it the other day after I, I looked it up on Metacritic, uh, I believe it's got like it's right around in that 50, 55 percent sort of overall critic approval, mm-hmm. which means uh, basically half the critics didn't like it or thought it was just OK. And the other half, you know, did or or thought it was great. So it is sort of perfectly in line with uh, that traditional hold up idea. And um, 
I'm pretty sure that you and I have talked about this movie together at some point in our, you know, since we've known each other, Joe, but I don't remember. And you've thankfully sort of kept me in the dark up until this point. Um, I will just say before I hand it off to you that I, I enjoyed watching this movie again. I actually thought I would find it to be much more annoying than I actually did. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it would be sort of a bad dated type of thing, or I thought it would be sort of a, yeah, just not have the potency or the effect. I didn't think it'd be as funny this time around, but what I found overall is that it mostly holds up. Most of it comes from the broad comedy for me and the performances, which we can get into, but I think this movie holds up surprisingly still relevant in the way that you referenced lethal weapons, still having things that reverberate today that haven't gone away. I think are definitely, there's all kinds of ideas in Iard Huckabees that have not even come close to going away. They're still very much in the public surface consciousness, all that stuff. Um, so with having said that, I, I need to know like your thoughts in this movie when you first saw it uh, and how you feel about it now. Did you see it in the theater when it came out? I did not. I lived in bumfuck small town, Minnesota at the time. So I'd, I had to see it on DVD, but I did review it for my school paper in college. And oh. I remember being very favorable to it, just a little blurb. And I didn't uh-huh. get much feedback at that time. Um, when I was writing for the, for the paper, that school paper, you know, probably not many people read that stuff, but that was the little blurb review. I, that and my re- negative review of saw two, actually in my couple years writing for the school paper, those were the two movies that I got the most feedback from, from people and most of it was, what the fuck did you like about I Art Huckabees? <laughs> like most people were confused by this movie, at least the people in my sort of circle uh, where I went to school. So, yeah. Well, so I, um, I saw the movie in the theater and um, all right, that's enough suspense. You've been waiting weeks <laughs> to know how I feel about the movie. Uh, you know that I saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater more than once. I saw it twice oh. in the theater. Which lets you know that I did uh, very much connect with this movie at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was uh, in rewatching it. I did kind of locate what didn't age as well, um, which we can get into, but the overall charm of the movie I could reconnect with. And it was one that um, I had like, uh, you know, some good friends at the time, David and my good friend Sarah, who has uh, since passed away. So, like, having rewatching it, it sort of like unlocks these feelings of seeing this movie more than once with them and like just mm-hmm. feeling this kind of enormity of like the nostalgia for that moment and for like how all three of us were sort of lit up by this movie and its, uh, its sensibility and how, um, yeah, so just like by the end, the, the sort of John Bryan score. Oh, and, so good, right? Yeah, it's um, and he he did the music for Lady Bird, right? Uh, I, yes, and uh, just at the time when Huckabee's came out, this was like my my favorite score. Also, the work he did on Eternal Sunshine was a right around this time too, John Bryan, and I just adore right. both those scores. But you, I'm ninety percent sure he did the Lady Bird score. Yeah, Punch Drunk Love as well. Well, you when we were initially oh, yeah. going to talk about um. Ladybird, you like the hold up segment was going to come with that because it sort of it takes place. Um, I mean, I heard Huckabee's came out around the same time that like Ladybird is essentially taking place, mm-hmm. and so in that sense, I think I think they would have paired really nice with, with with each other. I think it's fine this episode. I mean, I'm not mad about it, but um, <laughs> I think that like the 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 look of I heard Huckabee's like really kind of bleeds into the depiction of 2002, 2003 um, that mm-hmm. Lady captures really perfectly. There is a kind of like goofy sensibility that has more to do with the performance style sort of around in that kind of indie movie boom of like the early 2000s, you know, pre Little Miss Sunshine. There just was like a quirk that um, was like, I, I don't think lands as well anymore um but i think that there's enough like just tangential enough non sequitur absurdism going on and i heard huckabee is that like basically stamps out any sort of uh dated quirk that the movie kind of falls into 
And if nothing else, Mark Wahlberg yes. is, is a treasure in this movie. Like, the, I think the whole, the whole ensemble is great. I think yes. uh, Jude Law is outstanding. Dustin Hoffman's great. Jason Schwartzman's great. Lily Tomlin's great. Um, Naomi, Naomi Watts, Watts is great. Yes. Yeah. Um, Isabel Huppert is great. Yes, yes, she's she's outstanding. Um, Isla Fisher, is, I forgot she was in it. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, I forgot J- Jonah Hill's in this movie. That's right. Yeah, tiny, tiny very, role. Yeah, Richard Jenkins pops up as his father in a, in one of the funniest goddamn scenes in the movie where they go to eat lunch with them or whatever or dinner. <laughs> yeah, but like, but amongst these like friends that I saw it with was just like this movie was like endlessly quotable for us and um, yes. And like Mark Wahlberg is just like, he's such a, I think there were, there was some article about him. I think well after this movie that was like, what makes his comedy work is that his approach is the same basically in his dramatic work as it is to his comedic work. Yeah. So like the intensity that he focuses on everything is the same. And so like you get this level of commitment that is so over the top and like rewarding. And he is like, he's incredible as this distraught fireman having an existential crisis. (laughs) And like, I don't know, there's just something about like at the time, this this came out in 2004, like culture felt as stormy as we'd known most likely, you know, like this is a, a few years after September 11th, we were, you know, in the thick of a war. We were under a president who we felt was like hugely unstable. Little did we know uh, what would, you know, what was to come 13 <laughs> years later. But like it, like the fact that the movie has this kind of like, I don't, I don't know, this like insistent optimism while dealing with pessimism, cynicism, and existentialism is like, it's a really great yin yang and like yeah. I, I do i also think that the movie holds up despite its kind of dated quirk you know like i think that there is like something that fundamentally should not work about the movie like it should collapse under the weight of its own kind of like overly wordy philosophy you know like but it doesn't and um can you tell me the name of the the screenwriter who david o. russell collaborated with on this he did yeah, uh it's Jeff Bena. Yeah, he directed yeah. The Little Hours, right? Yeah, Jeff yeah, Bena. He's, he's a great writer-director who is like had a lot of little movies come out in the last few years and he was like super young when this was when this came out. Um Yeah. And listening to an interview with him and uh Mark Marin on WTF, you know, he he had a contentious relationship with David O. Russell. They don't really talk anymore, but I think he's like he's grateful to have had that as his launching point basically. And, uh, you know, like he, I mean, David or Russell has, uh, this was just like an interesting period for him too. Cause yes. like he had like a lot of notable, uh, you know, kind of first with uh, like a festival movie, like spanking the monkey out of the sort of nineties indie boom, and then transitioned into a, a, a bigger but still idiosyncratic comedy like Flirting with Disaster. And then into this, which like like you were saying about Fox Searchlight, like why was this appealing to them? Except that this was a director who they couldn't pinpoint like what exactly the public loved about him, but he had heat on him in terms of like his projects being, you know, unique and popular to some extent. I don't know how popular. I don't know if your parents have watched Spanking the Monkey, but uh, <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think it has I, a crossover appeal necessarily. I, I do think Ired Huckabee's kind of broke him for a while. Um, I also think yeah. it led to he, he got kind of put in director's jail. I would arguably not, you know, like for good reason. I think, uh, you know, for people right. that may or may not know, this is it's it's possible. I would say likely that more people have seen the clip online of David O. Russell losing his fucking mind at Lily Tomlin, like behind the scenes, you know, Uh, and that's on the set of this movie. And this was a period where David O. Russell also has always had uh, accusations of being a real asshole, like a real difficult person to work with because he has this temper, you know, like and if you see it in this clip, to be fair somewhat to David O. Russell, it's, you know, that's all we see is him losing his shit in the movie. We don't see enough of the context, but he 
doesn't come off well in that clip right. at yeah. at all. He uh, he comes off like a baby, actually, like a little kid having a temper tantrum. But uh, this movie broke him. I think I think it was sort of buried and not and didn't really perform well enough. I, I doubt it was super expensive, but I bet it was more expensive than it probably should have been, given how uh, challenging some of the ideas are. Um, and how weird the movie is, like how, how much it embraces its weirdness. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I should also mention uh, you, you uh, I don't know if you meant to or not, but Three Kings, of course, came before this movie uh, for David O. Russell. And you're right. There was an element of like, you, you think he's this comedy guy, but Three Kings sort of showed an evolution for him. And um, I, I feel like I have to just say as a side note, for me, Flirting with Disaster and Three Kings, I think are actual like, masterpieces like for yeah. me they're some of the best movies of the 90s um and huckabee's i guess wasn't quite on that level for me even now i don't know if it's quite on that level i mean that's a pretty high praise to give a movie but it is really good i heard huckabee still um yet i think a lot of that got lost in the shuffle because even though uh, 2004 when the movie came out was not as much like there just wasn't as much uh, ease of outing people about their bad behavior as there is now. Um, yeah. Like I'll put it this way, David O. Russell, who has actually been put back in the news in some, some cases for his bad behavior. Um, he's lucky that this movie came out in 2004 and not 2017 because he may, he it's possible he wouldn't be working anymore at all. Um, but Ired Huckabee sort of buried him for a while. You didn't hear from him for a long time. He tried to actually, there was a movie he was making between mm-hmm. Huckabee's and the fighter, uh, but it never nailed. Got, well, that what it was nailed. Called? that's it right. Is it's Jalen Hall, Jessica Biel. Yeah. yeah. It has since come out, um, as that's one of right. those like permanently shelved, uh, but now seeing the light of day with a different title. I can't remember what the title is called. Yeah, people, I can't remember. It's really yeah, generic, though. Should have should have stayed on the shelf is pretty much like the consensus, and so yeah. And I don't know if it that, literally. Like, I love you, daddy. Quality of like eh, it was shelved for a reason. It's not good, right? And I I think he took his name off it. He might not have actually been able to, but I think it was an attempt to make it like an Alan Smithy like pseudonym right. credit for the director. But uh, if I remember right, that whatever they retitled nailed. Um, they put it out, I think, right after The Fighter, which was Russell's comeback movie. You know, like that was the one that put him back uh, and uh, back in the spotlight. But also the movie was successful box office wise, but also was up for a bunch of awards. And ever mm-hmm. since this guy is like the Oscar darling. Every movie he puts out is up for several, if not many, many Oscars, most of which up for Best Picture even, you know, stuff like that. So it is interesting that he had the redemptive arc in the industry, but um, there are reports out there now that I think people should read. I think it was the Hollywood reporter just has come out um, saying that like, I, I believe Amy Adams had a really rough time working with Russell um, and his style, which is apparently very run and gun and almost improv heavy and in the moment heavy. Um, it's, it's a fascinating style when you read about how he makes movies, but I believe on American hustle that they just did not get along very well. But then, you know, you look at some actors like Jennifer Lawrence, who has stuck with him for three movies in a row. And she there must be something that she's able to endure or that she likes in working with him. It's interesting. It's all it's you know, it's very complicated. And and uh, he is a complex figure, David O. Russell, but um, a fascinating director. But I do think he's never made anything as good, even as I heart Huckabee's in his sort of comeback period. Uh, I think he's made some good movies. Silver Linings Playbook. Actually, I take that back. I think I like Silver Linings Playbook maybe even better than Huckabee's. I don't know whether it matters or not. Who knows? But uh, I know you were a big fan of that movie. Yeah, I think it was my favorite movie the year it came out. Um, It was, yeah. He's he's somebody that, um, you know, like the the tonal transitions we were talking about with three billboards in a duffel bag um, earlier (laughs) about how sort of the the work of making it jump from like something irreverent to something emotionally resonant is often not sort of supported by either the writing or it's just too much of a curveball for the performances. I think that that's something that's a terrain that David O. Russell actually like really thrives in because you look at a movie like three Kings, which like 
you know, it, it was, it was, it's like this intense kind of like fast moving, darkly comedic satire that does get like really heavy at certain points. And it is supported by the writing it was written by John Ridley and then mm-hmm. by the direction and by the performances, you know, like, uh, Spike Jones is in it and he has a fucking yeah. great like turn and arc in the movie and like Ice Cube is outstanding. Mark Wahlberg, this is his first time working with David O. Russell. He's made three movies with him as well. Um, mm-hmm. so he he could stand the the O. Russell, you know, like wrath. Apparently. George Clooney obviously had could could not because they uh you know, there's a lot of stories out. Yeah, they fought each other on set. Like they actually came to like they were punching each other from what I understand. And uh, it had to do with, yeah, it had to do. Did you ever hear that story? I didn't hear that. They, they fought like literally physically fought each other. Yeah. Apparently because uh, I think it had to do with Clooney was trying to stand up for people on the production side, like the, the crew and Russell was just sort of berating them. Yeah. 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 It's good for him. You know, it's that's, that's that Clooney charm that you hear about. you know, he's, he, by all accounts, he's, he's a good guy in that way. Um, looking out for the little people. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, that the era that we sort of like, we heroize a lot of like the seventies and those filmmakers, I'm sure there was just like a a great amount of just asshole behavior. That was just like part of a, a, an upswell of like, no, nobody knew what to do with the problematic behavior back then. And so he's probably part of like, in just an old style of confrontational filmmaking that doesn't, that understandably doesn't really have a place anymore. And you can be confrontational with your ideas and your style. But when you're like on a a set, which is so gigantically collaborative, like it doesn't bet it, it never benefits anybody. Like who's ever glad that they were screamed at by a director. Like, Oh, well, once I saw the finished product, I'm glad that he called me a piece of shit on the set. You know, like nobody's ever grateful for that. And so like, I don't know. There's a, it, it is getting like, you know, it's an interesting period where it's like impossible to disentangle the baggage from an actual product. But like, you know, even from this kind of stormy asshole period of David O. Russell, there's a charm to the movie that still perseveres, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's just, there's just something, something kind of, you know, deeply likable about it. And at the time, there was a there was a variety of films out in 2004. There there still was, if not thriving, there was an active independent film scene, mm-hmm. and like things could just exist in art house theaters and in kind of smaller theaters that didn't have to like aggressively assert their place. You know, they didn't have to necessarily be Oscar contenders to exist. So right. my friends and I could go to this movie and be like, this is awesome. Of course, there will always be movies like this, you know, and we were like quoting it on the way out. How am I not myself? You know, <laughs> like, you want to dance? I love to dance. That's like my, I love Mark Wahlberg in this movie. Like, he I just want to spin off. Series of- Seriously, dude, he is so great. I mean, it's one of my, f- I, I think it might be his, in my opinion, his best performance that or boogie nights. I don't know, but, um, he is so great. And and I, that was my qu- wanted a question I wanted to ask is like I I didn't look it up, but I can't remember him doing something so overtly comedic at this time. Maybe he had before Huckabee's, but it did seem to usher in a new era for Wahlberg to expand and get into those things where he could bring that same intensity you referenced to the different kind of characters he could play. And it turned out he's really fucking good at comedy. I mean, I I really like the other guys, the Adam McKay movie. He's really funny in that. And he, he can be a very strong comic presence. I mean, you know, arguably boogie nights is, is quite funny. Maybe not a comedy straight up, but the Dirk Diggler character is quite funny, uh, almost Mm -hmm. unintentionally, you know, his sort of dim wittedness, uh, is what Wahlberg plays so perfectly. Um, but there did feel like this was a new type of Wahlberg experience for the audience. And he, he, yeah, he fucking knocks it out the park. He is so funny in this movie. He was in a movie called the big hit from 1998, which oh, was like boy. A, a sort of, uh, a, a manically comedic, uh, hitman movie, uh, yep. with him, Bokeem Woodbine, Lou Diamond Phillips. So that was comedic. Um, it was terrible too, from what I remember. Oh, I, I, wow, I guess that's my next holdup because I, I remember <laughs> really that movie. 
<laughs> oh shit! Um, put it put it on you, your list. <laughs> you you saying um, the Wahlberg experience just makes me feel like we should curate an all Wahlberg marathon at some point. <laughs> well, you could make it your next hold up pick. Maybe we'll maybe it'll be hold up Wahlberg style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just close out the year with all Wahlberg, Allberg. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, um, it's good to hear, man. I, I For some reason, this was just lurking in my mind. I mean, it would have been fun to talk about either way, but I was like, I think this is going to be one Joe hates. I can't remember. Um, no, I'm glad, I'm glad I held off on uh, telling you because you're like, oh, I, I don't know. I'm like, all right, well, save it for the podcast. Held off on hold up. Well done, sir. Thank you. All right, so why don't we wrap up episode 159 of Adjust Your Tracking. What do you say? That's good. So just chill to the next episode. This has been episode 159 of Adjust Your Tracking. You can, of course, find us on theplaylist.net. There's the podcast tab right at the top there that you can click, and you'll find us and all our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network, and we hope you do. Uh, You can also subscribe to us. Um, Our Playlist Podcast Network feed is on iTunes. It's under the Playlist Podcast, and again, that'll have all our shows on there. Hopefully that's not too confusing. And uh, you can find us on Stitcher as well. You can find us on SoundCloud as well. And uh, maybe we'll get some of the other podcast uh, channels out there um, just to make it easier for people to find us. We'll, we'll get to that. But for mm-hmm. now, you can find us at those places. You can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. What about uh, that social media realm, Joe? Facebook, Adjust Your Tracking, the podcast. Um, there's a couple options. Just find, You'll find us. You'll get it. I trust you. And then on Twitter, you can follow us at Adjust Your Track. And um, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be super great. Yeah. And if you, you do, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we have a smart audience. They can figure it out. Um, yeah. They probably already have. Um, so yeah, with that, and we're, we're, we're very thankful for anybody that just takes the time to listen to this show, but uh, never as thankful as I am just to get to chat with you, Joe. Thanks, Eric. Just say something real quick. I just want to double check it's recording again. Hi, I hate Skype. Skype Skype betrayed me. (laughs) All right, man, we're good. Goo-goo hangouts. (laughs) Uh, You shouldn't have said that right before I was about to start. Now I got to think of what I was going to say again. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I got it.